Here's the deal. If we really believe the gospel, the truth of the gospel, then our life's mission should burn to share the gospel with others and to teach and train our children to know God, to love God, to serve God. We should be praying on their behalf, asking the Lord to be at work in their hearts, but it should be one of our most primary goals to help them to cultivate and to adopt their own biblical worldview. Hey ladies, this is Christy Young with The Gritty Gospel, and I'm excited today to talk about worldviews. Uh, the goal of this podcast, you know, is to talk about some gritty issues and all from a biblical worldview, tough issues that affect real women, uh, and it's great for us to talk about them from a biblical worldview so that we can get insight from Christ uh, and kind of detox from the culture because otherwise we're inundated with all these messages from the culture all the time. And so we've got to renew our minds in the Word of God uh, especially on a lot of these hard issues that we face every day in this culture. And so today, can I tell you today I have kind of a weird topic. Uh, it's all about worldviews. And you may wonder, why, does that, why is that relevant to me? You know, you may not understand why, what a worldview is and why they matter. And can I tell you, you would be in good company because until I started homeschooling our kids, I had no idea what worldviews are or why they mattered. In fact, uh, I couldn't have even told, yeah, I just couldn't have even told you what a worldview was. Except that I'm good with words, so I probably could have said worldview. Yeah, it's the lens through which you view the world, you know. But beyond that, I would have had no wisdom or knowledge uh, in terms of how it affects our everyday lives, how it affects uh, what we see and do and believe and what we prioritize. But you guys, that's how important the worldviews are because they do impact all of those things. And so, let me take this back a few years to where this all began. I, as I began homeschooling our children, and really it was Maddie, my oldest, when she was four, uh, I ordered some curriculum. And I, maybe actually I was passed down some curriculum. And I looked through some of the science books and I realized that in a lot of the verbiage in the science books, humans were talked about as if we were animals. Uh, mammals and I it shocked my spirit and I was like hold up we are not mammals over the weeks to come and the years to come I have really come to appreciate how important it is that we pick curriculum from a biblical worldview and that doesn't mean that every book we read is from a biblical worldview because in fact I wholeheartedly believe that we need to be equipping our kids to face the other the worldviews that they will encounter uh, from their friends from their neighbors um, because we live in this culture. And, and so we've got to be equipping our kids and ourselves to engage with other worldviews because, you know, the, the predominant portion of uh, the world is not Christian and they will not view uh, life out of a, a lens, a biblical lens. And so we've got to learn how to engage the culture, how to teach and encourage and admonish the culture. As Christian mothers on the front lines of the battle for our children's affections, we have to acknowledge that we have a worldview and that our children are actively developing a worldview. And we can either contribute to that biblically or they will literally take in everything that they're receiving from the culture, from TV, from music, from friends, from school or daycare. 
uh, and then they are building their worldview, the lens through which they will view the world. Let me tell you, this matters so much because this is the lens through which each person examines, filters, and understands the world around them. Our worldviews represent our most fundamental beliefs and, and assumptions about the world. It determines how we will answer fundamental, question, fundamental questions about who we are, why we're here, where we came from, and where, where we're headed, and the purpose of life. So literally, your worldview impacts. It's the, literally the lens through which you analyze and examine all of life. And so, you know, for example, for a lot of kids who wrestle with uh, depression and anxiety and maybe their purpose here on earth, you know, I believe that scripture is very clear uh, in the New Testament about why we're here, what our mission is, you know, who, and then, you know, as we battle, as we live in a world where kids and adults battle identity issues and identity crises, they're wondering, who they are, why they've been created, what their purpose is here. I believe scripture plainly answers those questions and gives us a mission and a purpose and inherent value and worth in such a beautiful way where we don't have to seek identity or justification in the world or value from the world. No one else has to affirm our worth because God has already established it in scripture that he has given us life that he wove us together in our mother's wombs and then he has attributed to us value and life and worth because we were created in his image and by his hand. Worldviews matter because you and I act on what we believe. Literally every day as we do all the things that we do, we are acting on what we believe and through the, the lens that we have, whether it's biblical or non-biblical. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I, I would compare a worldview to uh, putting on a pair of tinted glasses. If you put on a pair of tinted glasses, instantly everything that you see is impacted by that tint, right? And you may be really grateful to have sunglasses, tinted glasses, when you're out in the sun or you're, you know, when you're at a theme park or you're, you know, you're, out, you're outside in the middle of July and the sun is beating down on you, you're so grateful to have that tint so that you can see the world around you without being blinded by the sun. And so that's, that is kind of like a worldview that we, it's the lens through which we view the world. Everything is in, when we put on a pair of sunglasses, everything that we see around us is impacted by those glasses. And that's just the way a worldview works. Your worldview determines your opinion on matters of ethics and politics your thoughts on abortion, euthanasia, financial policy, public education, and same-sex relationships are largely determined by your worldview. They have profound implications on how people view themselves, what behaviors they consider right and wrong, and who or what they prioritize in their lives. And so you guys, we need to really examine and understand what worldview we view all of life through. And then if we are believers, we need to understand what it looks like to have a biblical worldview and to make sure that we are putting on a biblical worldview and developing and uh, saturating our minds with a biblical worldview so that we would view all of life through the lens of scripture and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because if I'm honest, I, until about seven or eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I didn't know what a, a worldview was and I didn't realize how important, it was when I was coming out of my career, I began to see as I'm filtering 
what I value and what, what I'm going to live for, I realized that I did not have a biblical worldview. In fact, I had lived my best life trying to build my best life in this life as I chased my career, as I chased a nice house, as I chased driving a nice car. I don't know, all the things that the culture values. And then when the Lord called me out of my career, man, I really wrestled with, okay, so what what is important to me? What do I value? And then my, and then it really made me examine my worldview. You know, am I looking through a lens that is saturated with scripture? Am I operating, making decisions based upon what I know to be true in scripture? Or am I making decisions based upon what the culture values or what the culture would do or what, based upon what people would think of me? And that was a huge one. So much of what I did at the time um, I was doing to make sure that I looked good in the eyes of other people. But then of course, the more and more that I sunk my teeth into God's word and the more I spent time in God's word, the less I cared about what the culture thinks, what other people think, and the more I desired to be obedient to the Lord. And so that's one of the things that changes when you, when you absorb and adopt, and, adopt, and adopt a biblical worldview, you begin to lay down what the culture heralds as truth and you seek the truth from the Word of God, and then you aim to live according to the Word of God. It's that simple. And yet in a culture that, that touts everything is truth, that's hard. It's harder than it sounds. This is what's super encouraging parents of young kids or teenage kids. We've all adopted b- b- worldviews, and then our children are actively developing worldviews. Would you believe, and this is a sobering reality, that Every, every person develops a worldview and it's typically fully functioning and operational by the time a person becomes a teenager. So our kids have already adopted a worldview that they will view all of life through uh, by 13. Uh, that's sobering. We have got to be pouring into our kids at young ages to help them cultivate biblical worldviews as believing families. Otherwise, y'all, they are getting input from every place in their world from from soccer from basketball from school from all of their teachers from walmart from uh i don't know video games from i don't just on every front music they listen to things they're exposed to that you don't even realize they're exposed to all of that is working to create their worldview and their worldview will be established predominantly by age 13. and so but here's the encouragement if your child is 14 15 16 you parent are the primary influence in helping them establish a worldview. Uh, Let me encourage you with this. Dr. George Barna, he's the director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He asserts that parents are not the only agents of influence on their children's worldview, but they remain both a primary influence and a gatekeeper to other influences. And so y'all, it is our responsibility to be making sure that we are gatekeepers for our kids, that we don't let them just go free and because they are getting impacted and influenced by so many things, so many people, so much of the culture, that it is our job and responsibility from Scripture, from God, to help them develop a biblical worldview and then to be a gatekeeper of outside influences that might negatively impact that worldview. And that doesn't mean they can't have friends or that we can't expose them to places 
um, and to people who don't have biblical worldviews because honestly we are around people all the time who do not have biblical worldviews. But the goal is that we would be diligently teaching them, talking through scenarios, talking through things after they happen. We have to do life together so that we can see what exposures they're getting and to be able to filter them, educate them, talk through it, help, and then, and then model for them as we encounter people who have worldviews that are not biblical. I want them to see how we interact with them. How do we, how do we engage with them with respect while disagreeing on fundamental issues about life and about where we come from and what our purpose is here? Uh, it's okay to disagree, but we wanna do it respectfully and in love, uh, that's the aim. Okay, so a Christian theist is a person who would hold a biblical worldview. And that person, I believe that man is a special creation of God, that we are not created equal with the animals. We are not an animal. Uh, we are not fish. We are not birds that fly in the air. We are not mammals. We, are not, we did not descend from apes. I don't believe that is not a biblical teaching. And yet that is what so many of our science textbooks teach our children. And that's just simply not true. If you are a Bible-believing Christ follower, then you cannot support <laughs> that the origin of life came from us evolving from apes. And so that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me to put a stake in the sand and to say, no, God's word teaches this, and this is what I adhere to as truth. And so I believe that we were made in his image and that all of life is valuable and begins at creation. Christian theists also believe that there is a God, a personal God, who has created and rules over the world um, and that he interacts with the world. He's still involved today. Um, and here, this is super cool. Sorry, there's some cars going by as I, and y'all, I put my hair up. It is so hot out here, but I love being outside, so I'm gonna rock it until I sweat to death. Uh, so anyway, when we come to have faith in God, our, our worldviews begin to change. So prior to becoming a believer and follower in Christ, we can't have a biblical worldview. We don't, have, we don't view all of life through a biblical lens. In fact, we view most of us have a syncretist worldview. That simply means that we, pull, we, are, we have a muddled worldview apart from Christ. We pull from different places, adopting things that we believe are true or that we would identify with or things that we would like to be true. Um, and that is called a syncretist worldview. It's what the majority of the culture and probably the majority of the world um, ad adopts as a worldview. Uh, here's the deal. Once you become a believer and follower of Christ, that all begins to change. Your worldview begins to change from the inside out as the Holy Spirit begins to work in you. And increasingly, um, just like scripture says, we must be transformed um, by the renewal of our mind. And so that's the goal. That's what happens. And we don't even, we don't even have to do it or to do anything. Although as we dig in, as we desire the Word of God more, as we read the Word of God more, as we saturate our minds with the Word of God, we necessarily, it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So it's actively working in us to transform us alongside the Holy Spirit that's actually working in and through us to transform us. And so changing us to put on and to adopt a biblical worldview. There's this transformation that happens as we become believers and the very lens through which we see all of life begins to change.
Okay, since approximately the fourth century, uh, most of Western civilization has held a predominantly biblical worldview, even though there have been individuals and groups to challenge it over the years. However, there's new research now from the American Worldview Inventory as of 2022, and it's, it's led by, uh, it's conducted by the CRC, um, but it's led by Dr. George Barna. Um, it reveals a huge problem for parents that are claiming to be Christian with young children. More than 90% of them have a muddled worldview. What's even more astonishing is that while two-thirds, 67% of preteen parents profess to be Christian, only 2% of them actually possess a biblical worldview. Ladies, that is 2%. 2% of 67% of people who actually live with a biblical worldview, who actually look at all of life and make decisions through a biblical lens. So what that really means to me is that there are only 2% of people who actually hold the Bible in high esteem as historically accurate, as alive and relevant and true for today. Uh, because it, it would appear that many people have dismissed the scriptures as being a guide for our lives because they, don't, they do not view life through a biblical lens. They have not adopted a biblical worldview. And so that also, that also lends to the fact that it's, it's very likely that many of those parents, the 67% that claim to be believers, um, that claim or profess to be Christian, aren't really in the Word of God. They're not really in the Word of God. So you can't have a biblical worldview if you're not in the Word of God. And then it begets the question about whether or not they're, they are really saved and truly saved. Because as you, when you are a follower of Christ, you desire to know Him more. You desire to know God more. You're in the Word of God. You're teaching your kids. You're discipling. You're doing all of these things that God's Word clearly calls us to do. And if those disciplines are absent, those loves, those joys are absent from your life, then, man, it does call, it's a cause to me for inward examination about where your heart is. The result really was that more than nine out of 10 parents of preteens have a worldview known as syncretism. This is a quote from him. It's a blending of multiple worldviews in which no single life philosophy is dominant, producing a worldview that is diverse and, off, diverse and often self-contradictory. And so really, as we live in this age, we can see what's happening. We can see this as it's happening. So many people pull from... <laughs> I know we've heard before, like the flavor of the week, they have their flavor of the week. Whatever feels good to you, tastes good to you, whatever jives with the way you want to live life, that's kind of like what people are doing. They're pulling, they have muddled worldviews. They're pulling from um, philosophical places in life that would agree with their own philosophies about life to create a worldview based upon their own feelings, emotions, beliefs, um, but not informed by biblical truth. So did you catch these statistics? 67% of preteen parents profess to be Christian, 67%. Yet only 2% of them actually possess a biblical worldview. So that means y'all that 65% of these parents who claim to be Christian do not live life as though the Bible is true, trustworthy, and reliable. These parents are either unaware that they've adopted a cultural worldview or they've intentionally dismissed the authority of the scriptures as the infallible word of God. The reality is so sad. And what that really tells me is that for you, if you are a believer, 
you need to keep your head down and in the, in the Word of God. You need to teach your kids, disciple your kids, train your kids. You need to understand and teach your kids about apologetics. Help them to understand why the Bible is historically accurate. Why Jesus? How do we know that Jesus actually lived, died, and was resurrected? We have got to be teaching them these valuable truths or else they will get swept away in the culture and the lies of the culture. I'm dancing all over the place today because it is incredibly hot outside. And I started there, but I wasn't going to last there. And so I was going to sweat off the screen. And so now I'm back inside. But I want to give you all some facts. Uh, these are sobering facts that we all need to know. If we, are, if we have hearts for ministry and hearts for children, these are things that we need to know because we need to be impactful people for Christ's name in this next generation behind us. And then for our friends and for our neighbors, we need to be going out into the harvest. We've got to make Christ's name known and we need to encourage other people to be in the word of God. Other believers, man, we just all need to link arms and aim to push one another forward, to sharpen one another. Um, here are some facts, ladies. A large portion of today's preteens, parents of preteens, are millennials. That means they were born between 1981 and 1996. Millennials are the least likely to possess a biblical worldview among the nation's four adult generations. And so, y'all, ladies, you know this. If you don't possess a biblical worldview, there's no way you can pass down a biblical worldview to your children uh, or teach them, encourage them. There's no way you would not have a desire to pour the Word of God over your kids if you yourself don't hold a biblical worldview and are not aiming to cultivate within yourself a biblical worldview. And so... The survey, the American Worldview Institute inventory survey, that survey indicated that the younger the parent, the less likely they hold a biblical worldview. And so the younger and younger the, the parents are, the younger that the generations are, the less likely they will hold a biblical worldview. 40%, here's another statistic, 40% of preteen parents believe the Bible is trustworthy as the word of God. However, only 45% of those 40% actually read the Bible once a week. Y'all, I just want to say that again. 40% of preteen parents believe the Bible is trustworthy, yet only 45% of those individuals are actually reading the Bible even once a week. And so... I just know for myself, if I'm not in the Word of God regularly, consistently, then man, we are actively then working against our ability to create a biblical worldview for ourselves, much less to be able to pass down a biblical worldview to our kids. And then here's an interesting fact. Preteen parents in the middle-income households earning between $40,000 and $75,000 annually, these are the group that are most likely to display biblical beliefs and behaviors, while those in lower and working class homes display average levels of biblical worldview incidents. Those preteens that are in, come from affluent households or wealthy households earning more than $100,000 annually, they rarely hold a biblical worldview. And we all, and, and then we know why. They, because we have, the enemy has done such a great job of making, of contributing to us believing that we actually have control over our lives, control over our health, control over our circumstances. And the more money we have, the more options we have, and the more ability we do have to 
within some reason, within reason to control the things that are happening around us. Yet we are not ultimately in control. And I think money is a great deceiver for a lot of people and it will lead people astray. So anyway, facts, you guys, the more affluent the household is, the less likely they are to hold a biblical worldview. Based upon all of his research, Barna believes that most children begin life at a spiritual disadvantage given the religious and lifestyle choices of their parents. Y'all, this is incredibly sad to me. It's scripture being borne out because people are lovers of self, lovers of money. We are chasing all of these things that are not biblical and then we're not taking the time to pass down biblical worldviews to our kids. And so increasingly, the younger the person, the less likely they are to hold a biblical worldview. Y'all, our kids are spiritually disadvantaged. So if you have eyes to see, if you have adopted a biblical worldview, then you need to try to be impacting as many people as possible because the facts, the statistics speak for themselves that most people do not hold a biblical worldview. Even among believers, those who would claim to be believers and followers of Christ, I hope that my heart is evident here. I am not coming from a place of judgment or I guess that's it, judgment. Many people who are calling themselves believers are not walking out a biblical worldview and that is problematic both for the person that claims to be a believer and for them to do an inward assessment to see whether they are truly saved and have the gift of salvation and then for their children, for the generations that would come after them. I just pray that they would not see the parent not living out a biblical worldview and somehow believe that that is Christianity because that type of Christianity that is not lived out according to a biblical worldview, um, it would be detestable before the Lord. And so all of that is sobering. And so my encouragement, the whole reason for this episode in the podcast is to shed light on this, to illuminate these facts and these statistics because they are scary and sobering. And yet I hope that it would cause us to wake up and to desire something different for ourselves and for our children and to change the trajectory for our grandchildren if we are not walking out a biblical worldview. And so a few of these things I want to read to y'all. Um, so I apologize. I'm going to be looking up and down from the page. But the Bible very clearly designates the responsibility for the cultivation of a child's worldview to that child's parents, their family, and their faith community. However, many parents neglect this responsibility or delegate it to others through school or sports or child care, um, whatever it may be. Many parents are delegating this responsibility to others so that they can use their time in a way that they deem more beneficial or profitable. That's where I have to like throw my hands up for a minute and I want to, I wish I could just like shake us through the phone so that we could all analyze ourselves and say, what is my primary motivation for doing all that I do every day? Why am I doing the things that I do every day? Do I aim to work for eternity in the things that God has called me to do? Am I engaged in discipleship of my kids? Am I aiming to spread the gospel and to make disciples? Or am I trying to live my best Tuesday? And am I trying to build wealth and to accumulate and to buy nice things? I think we really have to analyze and examine our motives and our thought life 
for our own salvation, for our own eternity, and then so that we would be effective and fruitful to work for the kingdom of God in our children and grandchildren, in our communities, uh, and as we go out into the world. I want to read this to you. So Dr. George Barna, the collaborator and the person who created the American Worldview Inventory, he his research sadly confirms that parents don't even have the worldview development of their children on their radar. And so hear this quote from him. He says, the typical American parent is either fully unaware that there is a worldview, that there is a worldview development process, or they are aware that their child is developing a worldview, but they do not take responsibility for a role in that process. Or they are aware the child's worldview is being developed, but choose or allow outsiders to accomplish that duty on the parent's behalf. You guys, what are we doing? Here's the deal. If we really believe the gospel, the truth of the gospel, then our life's mission should burn to share the gospel with others and to teach and train our children to know God, to love God, to serve God. We should be praying on their behalf, asking the Lord to be at work in their hearts, but it should be one of our most primary goals to help them to cultivate and to, to adopt their own biblical worldview so that they would be able to make decisions and make choices based in harmony really with biblical teachings and principles. If that is absent from our thought life entirely, there is a problem. There is a problem. We do our children the ultimate disservice if we teach them that they can identify as Christian and then yet live a life on their terms and for their will. Barna notes this. This is a quote from him. It seems that most preteen parents are unaware or certainly unfazed by the contradiction between calling themselves Christian but living in ways that repudiate the teachings of Jesus and the principles of the Bible. The disheartening truth and now these are my own words. This is the disheartening truth is that if we don't expose our children to a biblical worldview, they will then by default develop their own syncretic worldview, a hodgepodge of ideas and beliefs from other non-biblical worldviews. And so I just think that we all need to ask ourselves the question at the end of our lives, what do we want our legacy to be? Will it be sufficient for us to have worked all our days or to even and to have engaged in a lot of good things sports uh, work education uh, extracurricular things hobbies spending time with our kids even but if all of that if none of that incorporates teaching biblical ideals teaching God's word helping cultivate a biblical worldview in our kids then y'all it's all for naught it's all meaningless a chasing after the wind and it will mean nothing. Well, it will have a huge impact for eternity, but our kids will be eternally separated from God unless the Lord sees fit to put someone else in their path to teach them the things that we need to be teaching them, that we should be teaching them, that we've been called by God to teach them. And so, and if we have neglected that, there's no time like the present to begin to change those priorities in our lives. We can begin today to fight for those things, to establish those anchors in our life, to know that every day that at some point we will touch the word of God, enjoy the word of God with our kids, that we will worship with our children, to talk about biblical ideas, to walk out a believer's life, 
here's the challenging thing. You can't pass anything down to your kids that you don't personally have. And so the best gift that you can give your children is you deciding to commit to a daily study of God's word. It's you deciding to decide to worship in your heart every day. It's you deciding to open up God's word uh, with your kids every day. It's you. The changes have to begin and end with you to be able to impact your children. And so again, if you have not been engaged in this kind of discipleship with your kids, if you have not been engaged with this kind of relationship with you for, with Christ, then man, my encouragement is to petition the Lord, ask him to help change your heart and your desires. Help, ask him to help you to seek his face and to know him more and to have a desire to enjoy the word of God and a desire to build more intimacy with Christ. Take time to pray for others and to pray for your own heart. Um, just begin to ask the Lord for help because you can't do it alone. And those, those desires really ultimately have to come from him. They're a gift from him because in our innate sinful nature, we don't desire God. We don't want God. We don't want him to tell us we're sinful. We don't want him to tell us how to live. We don't want, we, I don't want to, apart from Christ, I don't want him telling me what to do, you know? But, and that's why this is so scary. If you have lived that way, and you don't repent, you don't acknowledge sin, you don't live with any spiritual disciplines, then that is very revealing about where your heart is. And it's likely that you're not saved. If you don't desire those deeper things, a deeper walk with Christ, to know him more, to seek his face, to do his will on earth, then it's likely that you're, you don't belong to him, unfortunately. But that's, the, that's encouraging to me. If, you, if that is you, and you have a desire to know him, start now, pray now, ask him for him to impact your heart now and your desires and to ask him to save you, to teach you, to help you absorb the gospel, to understand it, to, and to live it out. As a culture, we promote success and independence and autonomy and comfortable living. Yet 69%, according to Barna, 69% of Americans claim to worship the God who tells us to deny self, to live in community, to seek first his kingdom, and to give generously. That alone is sobering. The culture literally stands for the antithesis of most, if not all, of the things that the God, that the Bible would admonish us to do and to walk out. The culture says to do the opposite. And so somehow we've bought into the lie, nominative Christianity is acceptable to God, that Christianity in name only is acceptable to God. And then the reality is, I guess, those who have adopted nominative Christianity, they're not really Christians at all. They're Christians in name only, but they don't aim to do the will of God. And we've seen in other places in scripture where the Lord says that there are people crying out saying, Lord, Lord, but I've cast out demon and demons in your name. I've prophesied in your name. I've done all these things in your name. And then the Lord though, cast them out saying, you evildoers, I do not know you. And so it's very clear that those who will be saved will be those who are doing the will of the father in heaven. By calling ourselves and labeling ourselves believers, it really means nothing for salvation, but we must be doing the will of our father in heaven. Titus, in the book of Titus 1, 15 and 16, it says this, To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. And so, y'all, I feel like that's 
uh, that's what's happening in the culture a ton and even in the church. And I don't mean like the true church of Christ, the people who, the people, people who genuinely follow and love Jesus are working on his behalf and going out into the harvest and doing all the hard things. They are serving the orphan, loving the widows, bearing burdens of other people in Christ. They are going out into the hardest, shadowy, craziest places and spreading the gospel. They are loving people who are hard to love. And so, but those who are unbelievers, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. These people, verse 15 says, they are defiled and unbelieving. And that that means that they are detestable. Really, they're, they're detestable and disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. Sorry, that was the end of verse 16. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So y'all, unbelievers who claim, so we are walking in the midst of a culture full of people like this and let us examine ourselves so that we would not be one of these people. That we, we do not want to be someone who claims to know God, but we deny him by our works. Because if that is us, if literally all that we do we do to serve ourselves or to serve our families or to exalt ourselves and our names, then we are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. The believer will be ever acting to exalt the name of God, to work for the name of God, to glorify the Lord in all that they do. And a lot of times that involves sacrifice, that involves giving up time or resources or in giftings. Uh, A lot of times it involves sacrifice for your family. On every front, when we aim to exalt the Lord, we will give of ourselves and we will deny ourselves as we take up our crosses and follow him. And that's beautiful. And we do it in the likeness of Christ, just as he's laid down his life for us. Now our lives are not our own. And so God can do with us as he sees fit. And that's why I love those verses in Proverbs that talk about how man in his heart makes plans for himself, but the Lord establishes his steps. I think it's Proverbs 16, 9. I think that's so beautiful because that's exactly how this plays out. Our lives are not our own, but God will establish our steps. 